Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we're picking out some of the best work available on The Athletic right now and putting the author under the spotlight. And Joe Cole. Brilliant. Chelsea. Start the party now. I was a little bit different. Players are more similar to the way I play now in terms of, you know, getting a ball, receiving it dribbling, twisting and turning. Breaks here for Joe Cole. Oh, brilliant. Just brilliant. Yeah, this week it's a really fascinating interview with Joe Cole on his year in Lille between 2011 and 2012, written by The Athletic senior writer Dominic Fifield. He joins us today to talk more about changing English attitudes to playing abroad. Yeah, it certainly feels like something young English players are definitely more willing to do. And interestingly, English youngsters are now perhaps more desired on the continent than a decade ago. So we're really interested to talk to Dom and pick his brain in a second. But first off, Flo, award nomination. I know. Um, first one since I was leaving school. So, um, yes, it's very weird to be getting that as an adult. Um, and I've never really kind of like looked at any of these awards before and like entered anything in them or or sort of felt like I was deserving of one um a, a friend of mine was like no you need you should put your name in the hat um it's it was a it's a sort of 30 under 30 one so I'm creeping closer to 30 so I thought might as well do it while I still have the chance um so yeah no really really chuffed to be to be shortlisted for for SJA wants to watch on air and you know I'm only as good as my co-hosts and my producers and all the wicked people that I work with including yourself Dan so you know thanks thanks for all your stuff and I expect to see you on one of those shortlists next year because I will be the person in your ear making you submit something so I mean you won't see me in the 30 under 30 maybe they do it maybe <laughs> maybe they do a 40 we'll under 40 we'll just change your birth certificate it's fine yeah, I mean, it was it was great to see you nominated and Mark Chapman, who shares hosting this podcast with me. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> next year, Dan, next yeah, year. Next year is my year. I'm like Arsenal. Next year is always, always going to be the year. <laughs> Hashtag trust the process. Yeah, exactly. Before we welcome Dom onto the podcast, if you're not signed up to The Athletic yet, well, you can do so today for just a pound a month for the first six months by visiting theathletic.com slash football pod. If you do that, you'll be able to take full advantage of our unrivaled sports writing as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So make sure you do that today if you haven't done so already. Dom, welcome to the show. We're going to shine a spotlight this week on your piece on Joe Cole's career and in particular his spell with Lille in France for a season. I read it this morning. It was one of them ones where I was reading it, I was actually thinking, I wish I'd paid a bit more attention to him when he, when he was in France, wish I'd watched a few more games, because it, it sounds like a really interesting time, and it sounds like he really, really embraced it. 
Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to go out and see him in the October of 2011 and um, say a couple of months into his loan spell there and he was definitely still finding his feet. But he had made an initial impact in in the team. He'd done well on debut at Saint-Étienne, he set up a third goal there. Um, he, he'd scored an absolute belter on his home debut, I think, as well. About 20 yards against Lorient, I think it was. He he felt at ease, Um but it was it was nice to sort of go back and revisit it all with him, and and even that show him the original piece that I did at the time, and it all sort of came flooding back. You could actually see, you know, he broke, he broke out into this big smile. He sort of remembered all these. We traverse la rue en français, c'est très difficile. David Beckham. All these things that he'd done, not least the fact that moving to France encouraged him to take up drinking coffee. I mean, for God's sake, what? I mean, it's it's and also decaf coffee though as well so I don't quite know how that works but he did embrace the culture definitely he did he did try and do um he tried to take on board the advice that David Platt had given him years before to to, to fling himself in two-footed and into it all and and and, and give it a, a good good crack enjoy the culture enjoy living abroad um with the family as well reading the newspapers speaking the language enjoying the city that he was living in it's not Paris. It's a university city in the north of France, so it's a it's an interesting place. Um, and yeah, he 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 loved it. He did well. He did well. It, was, it yeah. proved to be a bit of an Indian summer for his career. To be fair, yeah. Of course, Chelsea play Lille in the Champions League last sixteen. They've got a couple of legs to play. Actually, by the time this goes out, they'll have already played one leg. But if you look at his career, it all became a little bit scattergun to, towards the end. That Lille stint it may seem like a bit of anom- an anomaly, but. It was really successful, as you say, wasn't it? I think it was his last prolonged spell where he was he was doing well in what would be considered an elite league and an elite team, and in that league as well. Um, he he'd done well at for over seven years at Chelsea. He'd won the, the Premier League title. Um, he he'd won numerous FA Cups, etc. That was a pinnacle. That was a, that was Joe Cole at his very best. I mean, obviously he had lots of good moments at West Ham prior to that, but it was Chelsea where he really established himself, and he won the majority of his fifty-six England caps. Um, but when he was released, he had a serious knee injury at the age of twenty-seven that he got. He I think he ruptured the anterior cruciate in his right knee. At a, an FA Cup replay at Southend United, and um, he was never really quite the same player again after from that moment. And I think he admits as much. But he went to Liverpool on a free transfer in 2010. It just didn't work out. He got sent off on debut in the Premier League. Um, there was a change of manager. Roy Hodgson went out. Roy Hodgson hadn't really used him in the way that he he was going to thrive. Uh, I don't think Kenny Dalglish was particularly taken with him either. So he needed a change, and Lille was that change. Uh, a, a move organised right at the end of the transfer window in the summer of 2011. Um, a few French clubs had come in for him. Bordeaux were another one. Marseille, who ended up, I think they took Joey Barton the following season. Uh, so they were looking in the English market at the time. Um, but Lille was convenient. It was an easy sort of hop on a train um, from London to to Lille. Well, he did, in fairness, he did actually live with the family. He didn't have property in the, in the UK at the time. Um, and it just felt right. An hour with Rudy Garcia, the coach, convinced him that this was the move he should make. He should look at that team is is quite something. Mad. I'd forgotten that, that that front three comprised him, Eden Hazard and Dimitri Payet. I mean, that's just mouthwatering and, and vaguely ridiculous as well. And it was quite unique at the time. I remember obviously like 
I think after that, Ashley Cole would have gone to Roma and there were, like you said, sprinklings of English players going to play abroad. But it was still quite unique and it felt like if you did that, you were sort of signalling that you may be dropping out of England contention and, you know, your career was potentially coming to an end. But actually, he kind of showed that you can almost reboot your career in many ways by doing that. Yeah, to a certain extent. I think that was the idea. I mean, it was considered to be a real coup in France to sign him, I mean, for, for Lille to get him, because they had been waiting 20-odd years for an English international to to go and play in Ligue 1. The previous two that had been there, I think in 91, 92, had been Chris Waddle and Trevor Stephen at Marseille, you know, a great Marseille team. But really, in the intervening years, there hadn't been anyone of any note that had gone over to, to Ligue 1 to, to play. So... There was an element of surprise. I think when the Lille hierarchy, when the idea was floated by Rudy Garcia that they should have a look at Joe Cole's availability, and the Lille hierarchy were fairly taken aback and didn't think this was going to be feasible. This isn't what happens. Lille sells their best players to England. They don't take players from England. Indeed, that summer, they'd, they'd lost Jovino to Arsenal and uh, Yaron Kabay to, to Newcastle. So, And they were the league champions. So it was a... For them to take someone from England, even on loan for a season, but someone of his calibre, someone that someone that people recognised in France and knew who he was, was a, quite a major event. And and this is in the summer. Bear in mind that also Qatar had bought PSG, um, so okay, they hadn't maybe they weren't splashing the cash in quite the same way as they would be in the years subsequently. But you know, it felt as if something was happening in Ligue 1. You know, PSG is suddenly spending money to a certain extent. Lila League champions and they're bringing Joe Cole in. This is a reason to be excited, and um, I think he, I think he probably quite liked the fact that um, it was considered a bit of a coup and a bit of an event uh, for him to be going there. But even so, I think he was, he was, he was definitely taken aback by the standard of of the league and also the facilities that he was coming, he was playing in the stadia. The training complex at, at Lille was second to none. Lille were actually building a new stadium that season, so he didn't get to play in the the fifty thousand seat stadium that that Chelsea will play in in a three three weeks time. He played in the old seventeen thousand, but a lot of the grounds that they were coming up at, against opponents, they they were a new stadia, all sort of gearing towards Euro twenty sixteen, and that sort of I don't know rise in the infrastructure of the French league impressed him. And probably explains why he, he he talks about them being the the second best league. It's certainly in terms of infrastructure in Europe at the moment. Joe Cole, he, what strikes me is he's a bit of a thinker. And reading your piece, it kind of confirmed that in that he kind of earmarked France as the place for him to go because he realised that his body probably wasn't going to keep up with the rigours of the Premier League. So he identified France. I just find that really interesting because I think I think that's quite unique that a player's earmarked a specific country to go and play at the time. He knew he couldn't run like he used to. He knew the new knee injury would hamper him. So he couldn't be that sort of frenetic winger that that bought into what Jose Mourinho was trying to do, sometimes quite painfully, um, during his time at Stamford Bridge. And he yeah, he did survey the scene and look looked and he looked he had offers from various English clubs as well, sort of middle of the road English clubs. Um, but he looked at them and thought, Well, I'm just not going to be able to make an impact there because they're gonna want me to to I don't know, presumably track back at, at pace as well as as well as pushing forward, and his body wasn't going to be up to that. Whereas the football in France was probably a bit slower in terms of build-up play, a bit more intricate, a bit more technical, and therefore made for 
his style uh, of, of of football, certainly at that age. Even so, it has to be said that when he went over there for the first two or three months that he was playing in, in Ligue 1, his teammates had to tell him to calm down. He was still doing things that he, he wanted and had become second nature in the Premier League where he you know, constantly closing people down, constantly urging teammates to push up and and uh, press, etc. And, and you know, he'd, he'd look around and his teammates would be going, "What are you doing? It's okay. Let them have the ball in that area. We'll just get organised and structured, and then we'll nick it off them, and then we'll we'll start start our own attacks." So it was a bit of a culture shock in that that regard. But I think he got it by the end of the season because the numbers suggested he did. And that I mean that team as well. We we briefly mentioned it, but it was. Quite- a pretty iconic Lille team that that Cole walked into having just won the title as well. So were there quite a lot of expectations for what he could achieve in terms of also helping them repeat that success? Yeah, I think so. I, I, think, I think that was part of the excitement of his signing. I think they, they, they realised that two two big players had left. and uh, But that's that's what happens. It's happened again this this summer. You know, big players have left Lille after them winning the, the title again. I should also caveat, you know, I've mentioned people like Luca Dina and uh, Idrissa Garnagay who, who were in that Lille side and played about, they made about 12 and 14 starts respectively that season. Those were young guys at the time. They weren't the finished articles that we've seen in the in the Premier League. But there was clearly something happening at Lille and, and Lille was a conveyor belt of talent. They had splashed a bit of cash that, that summer. Payet was a new signing. He'd come in from Saint-Étienne. You know they they were there to compete with with Paris Saint Germain and uh, and and they did think that they could retain their title. And the irony being that in the end PSG finished second, Lille finished third, and it was an Olivier Giroud inspired Montpellier of all people, all clubs, who took Ligue 1's title that that year and before PSG's dominance was properly established. And he was playing with a, a certain player called Eden Hazard, who I think ended up going to Chelsea. Is it the summer straight after? He, yes, he, he went to Chelsea. Yeah, and right. I, he kind of, again, reading between the lines and, and reading the lines, Joe Cole <laughs> kind of played played a part in, in that move and one of the best players that's played in the Premier League. He chipped away at him for the entirety of that season, I think, and said, you want to be going to London. It was Everybody knew at Lille that, that Hazard was leaving at the end of that season. Um, it was that was the time that he was going to get sold. Um, there was an acceptance there that was happening, but we had a situation where all the elite clubs in England wanted him. Um, Manchester City, Manchester United. Cole suggests that there was a point. He didn't specify which one of the clubs, but one of the Manchester clubs flew uh, Azard over to to watch the derby in a private jet, just to just to to be there, on, you know, in a box watching the game. With a view to trying to get him to to sign for them at the end of the season, he had Vincent Company in his ear as well at City, trying to convince him to to, to come as international teammate. But it was Cole who was doing it every day at training, every day. London's where you want to be. You can pop home in a couple of hours to to Belgium uh, on the train. It's uh, you can see all your family. He knew he he knew Eden Hazard. He knew what type of a person he was off the pitch and what where he would settle best. I think it's for you. I said I think you'll. You're set, one, you'll settle in London because it's, it's cosmopolitan. You know, and also, I said, listen, if you ever get home, homesick, you can just jump on the, on the train and you're, you're back in Brussels in five minutes. So, Yeah, I think and, all and that, that persuasion, uh, incessant persuasion, I'm sure Was it, was it really every day? Every day he was mentioning it? That's what he's saying, yeah. Every conversation, come on, you, it's Chelsea where you want to go. That's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. 
I mean, ultimately, I don't think Eden Hazard would have joined Chelsea had they not won the Champions League that year. Champions yeah, League yeah, football yeah, yeah. was the key. Um, and, you know, had Chelsea not won the Champions League, they wouldn't have been in the Champions League the following season. As it was, they barely were anyway. They were eliminated in the group stage. But that, combined with Cole just delivering the sales pitch on a daily basis, convinced Hazard. And in fact, Hazard has, has, has spoken about that as well. Uh, just not to go too much off, off piece from, from this topic, but when you chatted to Cole, was there an element of maybe regret as well in, in, in leaving Chelsea, having told Hazard how much he would love it? Was he kind of thinking, God, I wish I was back there as well? I think I got the impression that, yeah, Joe, he's a Chelsea fan. He's, he's always been a Chelsea fan. He, that was his club. Um, the summer of 2010 hurt him, definitely, when he was told. I think he was. we were with him in South Africa at the World Cup and uh, the news came out there that Chelsea weren't renewing his contract. And I remember we spoke we spoke with him in the uh, in the England press tent at Rustenburg, and you could sense the desolation really in him. He, this this was such a this was his childhood club basically saying you're not up to it anymore, I'm afraid. Um, and that 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 did hurt him undoubtedly, un- undoubtedly hurt him. He when he was talking about Hazard going there, he sort of said. Um, it wasn't that there was a big hole that he'd left at Chelsea that was needed filling because they'd signed Juan Mata in the, in the meantime and he was doing brilliant things at Chelsea. He was their player of the year, you know, two years running at the club. Um, but he sensed that that was the type of environment and the type of club and the type of fan base who would buy into what Azard would provide them, you know, the type of player that Azard was. And, and, you know, he would, his skills, his attitudes, would fit that that mentality around the club, so he could recognise there was a connect. There would be a connection there, which I think was another reason why he encouraged him to to go there. It was not as if he was on commission or anything; he wasn't getting any money for doing it. But um, looking back, he did Chelsea a massive favour because Azar was a brilliant, brilliant player at that club for seven years. Why did he not? Stay at Lille then, because you talked about. Well, I said to you, and you said in your piece that you know he realised the French league was going to suit him and not the mm. Premier League. But then after that, he went back to West Ham, I think. He, he, but he went back to you. Liverpool. You went back L- to because L- Liverpool, Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, because Liverpool. Bear in mind that he'd signed for Roy Hodgson, worked under Kenny Dalglish, been loaned out during the Dalglish's second stint in in charge, and Brendan Rodgers took over in the summer yeah. of 2012, and and initially thought that there was a role for Cole in his uh, in okay. his football, in his style of football. It didn't work out. And there, I think he was better in periods in that subsequent year. I think he, he contributed a few more goals, etc. But but it wasn't a natural fit. Did he have the option to stay? Because it just feels like if it went so well, why, why would you not just try and make the move permanent and, and go there? I'm not sure that Leo would have had the finances, to be okay. honest, the, the way it was working. I mean, he would have been on a hefty contract at Liverpool, given that he was a a free transfer. So I just, I don't think that was a, a real viable option to make it permanent. Um, but his, his, you're right, his career became very nomadic afterwards. He went back to West Ham. That didn't really work out. He had a spell with your boys, Aston Villa. Didn't really work out. It was actually, I think he was contracted there for two years. Yeah. Although some of that was spent on loan at Coventry. Uh, he enjoyed his time, subsequent time at Coventry on, on, on a permanent deal under Tony Mowbray. He talked him up. He enjoyed working for him. Um, and he enjoyed the couple of seasons he spent over in the States with Tampa Bay Rowdies. But um, but by then he was, I think it was fair to say that he was a fading force. 
I think it's really interesting what he he mentions in in the interview with you about not only the the French league suiting his game, but how um, actually you know how far behind the Premier League and English football had been tactically compared to the leagues in Europe, and he was really excited at the prospect of kind of being at, at the forefront of European football. Yeah, that was definitely a definitely a theme that he that that came through from the chat. I think he was quite throughout his career in England. He was considered a bit of a maverick because he wasn't the type of I don't know well coached um, player that you know within the English system. He was very technically gifted, but he was a street footballer. That's what, effectively what he was. He'd learnt he'd learnt in the cages, as I say. I mean that he he talked about that as as well. I mean that that was that was where he picked up his his skills. And where he thrived, he didn't come from a footballing family. I don't think his dad played, um, but he taught. He was self-taught rather than this sort of rigid uh, English coaching structure at the time, which I think he always railed against. Um, he, he was never comfortable with that. He was never comfortable with the sort of direct play of a lot of teams, um, even some of the teams that he would have played for at times. Um, he just wanted to go out there and express himself. He was technically gifted. He, he, he could see that throughout his career. He was always a joy to watch, but it always felt as if he was, a, he was almost, I don't know, tagged with that sort of luxury. He, he's a luxury player, but he's actually a bloody good player, a really, really good player. So a player to sort of illuminate any occasion, any game. And when he got running with the ball and was dribbling at opponents, it was, he was a joy to watch. And I think, I think the French system where, it was more about sort of the technical skills rather than the maybe the physical skills even. Although it's, I mean, that's probably generalisation because it is a very physical league, as indeed Thomas Tuchel was talking about on on Monday ahead of the uh, ahead of the Lille tie in the Champions League. But maybe the the slower nature of it all, the slightly less frenetic nature of it all, and and the fact that it relied more on technical ability allowed him to thrive. He could breathe more, um, and he contributed nine goals in forty odd games. Assists in a team with that with that front line, those front line options, um, a team that scored seventy odd goals in Ligue 1, which I think is their joint highest tally of goals in their history, and they came close. They came third. They came close to to back to back titles. Um, wasn't quite to be, but it was a still a good season. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Next, we're going to move away from Joe slightly and we'll discuss why so many more English players are happily plying their trade in Europe nowadays. So stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now the 
presume what our players are, are more adept to going abroad now. You know, obviously you've got the financial thing where, with, like Germans, for instance, they, they're recognising the value of English players here. But also the fact that we've, I'd say maybe 15 years ago, maybe a bit longer now, the start of the academies and we started playing football the right way. Yeah. We were so far going off the map tactically what was going how that the way we were taught to be brought up English football was completely wrong. Yeah. I'll have the discussion with anyone. The Charles Hughes way of yeah, playing yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the, 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 the you know great to watch, great product to sell around the world um, when it's market well but in terms of competing at the national level we didn't have enough technically gifted players. You're going into a you're going into a game Technically and tactically, we're miles behind everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, so there's Joe Cole chatting to Dom about English players playing abroad. When he went, it really did sort of buck that trend um, in terms of direction of travel because... I suppose that that subsequent summer we also saw some movement as well. Obviously, Hazard coming to Chelsea being that that big um, that big signing. But has it been difficult? Do you think for for some other players to make that tra- transition? And what do you think was put was deterring them from doing it? Was it just a you're not going to get picked in the England team? Was it a, a cultural challenge? Why do you think so many weren't sort of lured in by this? I think a part of it is is the, the very basic thing that I, I don't think the English are great travellers. I don't think they, I don't think we're, we're very good as a nation. Um, and it will come across as a massive generalisation, but I, I, I just don't think we're very good at, at going abroad, learning a language, experiencing a culture. Um, that Englishman abroad sort of cliche thing, which Joe brought up back in October 2011, you know, that, that, is, a, yeah, that is a thing. That I think I think that genuinely is a thing. We we we're quite insular, island nation. We don't necessarily look to broaden our horizons that way. I mean, you know, lots of us lots of us will do that, but the majority probably don't. Um, we're uncultured uh, bigots, is what you're trying to say, Dom. Probably, I'm, I'm, but... I'm, I'm running away from that debate. Um, <laughs> but it's I think that definitely plays played its part in it. There's also. I think, and it still exists, that there is an obsession with the Premier League or obsession with English football, obsession with the league structure. And, and for a lot of people, for a long time, I, I suspect that that the sense was, if you don't make it in England, you're not really making it anywhere. You can, you know, you can go off and play in a backwater, I want to say, but, but it's, I mean, that was the attitude. I mean, it's ridiculous to suggest that, you know, Liga or... Serie A or La Liga is is a would should be a backwater. Of course, it isn't. But I think that that attitude probably did exist amongst English players. It just wasn't. It just wasn't the done thing. And when the Premier League took off, and suddenly we had a situation where all the best players were coming to England, as opposed to. I mean, there was a period, obviously, where where English players were courted abroad. The very very best went off and and. And maybe people like David Platt, etc., Paul Gascoigne, etc., went went off to to Italy, and and because Syria was the preeminent force of the day, but the Premier League was the Premier League had established England as as the place to play your football. So it, it, at the time, it was almost unthinkable that anyone would pass up the ch- the chance to play in the Premier League to 
to go and experience something else. I'm not saying that Joe's typical because Joe was towards the end of his career. I mean, he he had he aspired still to to regain his England place when he went to Lille, definitely. Um, but he was 29. I think a lot of the guys that have gone abroad in recent years that, that have drawn the attention have been 10 years younger than that. They've been, or even more, I mean, 18, 19. Um, and they've, they're the ones that have, have maybe seen that their pathway into first teams in England is probably blocked, not least by foreign players that have come in. And that actually, they might, they might find a quicker route into senior football if they they go abroad and experience life in the Bundesliga or in Liga, um, etc. I mean, you mentioned in the piece this Premier League winner, decorated international Joe Cole, having to clean his own boots. <laughs> you know, that's something that academy players probably don't even have to do in the, in this country anymore. Is it, is it the culture shock a bit of an aspect as to, as to why players di- didn't and, and some still don't go over and play abroad? Not great travellers. Not great travellers. I mean, for 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 Joe to to have noted that, I mean, Joe was old school. Joe Joe would have grown up at West Ham in an era where he definitely cleaned up the senior players' boots. That was that's what was done. So for him to go there and suddenly be told to do to his own, I mean, he said it tongue in cheek. He wasn't outraged or anything. He 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 he's one of those people that did he he did try and buy into what was happening around him. But it's it, it, you're right. It's marked difference from. From how things are over here, where the you know back in the day, it, the youth team players looked after the senior players in terms of cleaning the boots, and um, they probably got a hundred pound in their in cash and a, at the end of the month as a thank you from the seniors. It's uh, it, that, that was a culture shock. But look, I don't think any of the kids who go abroad now in the Bundesliga will be worrying about that. I mean, the, the lads who are going going from Premier League academies to to Germany, etc., to to progress. I think they're. They're going for other reasons, very different reasons, and they're they are attractive to, to German clubs for different reasons as well. We've kind of got this thing now done where because of the Jaden Sancho effect and the impact he had at, at Dortmund, the success he's had, it feels like there's there's that pathway that, that players think think they can have now. And also on the flip side, clubs will have seen how successful Jaden Sancho was for Dortmund. They'll want a bit of that as well. They'll know it's it's a good way to make money. Absolutely. They I think they look at it as I think a lot of Taking on the financial aspects, first of all, I think they they recognise that that the Premier League is where the money is. If if but if they bring in a young English talent for next to nothing, um, develop them, coach them, um, give them first team opportunities, they'll sell them back to Premier League clubs in a couple of years' time for extortionate amounts of of money, and and the whole exercise is a huge cash cow for 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 Bundesliga or Serie A clubs um on a on a, taking away the finances let's forget about that for a bit but the these guys are technically up up to it now i think yeah. the, the attitude is that, that amongst you know a Bundesliga club will look at the the talent coming through in Premier League academies and think well these guys can do well for us in the past maybe that wasn't the case and that's a point that joe makes the, the old school coaching that was that was um, being undertaken in in Premier League clubs back in the day. Um, it wasn't the technical level of of, of coaching um, to to coax out better techniques from the players that the that the academies are implementing now. Um, I think E Triple P's. What, did he played. did he mention any of these te- any of these styles or or well, what he, he was doing? He in talked England about Charles Hughes. I mean, he, it right. was it was about. It, you know, he was brought up in an era where 
he went to West Ham and and it was about direct football, even at West Ham, I think. And he was coming up against teams where it was all about direct football and, you know, the, the minimum number of passes possible to score you a goal. And that wasn't an environment which would encourage players to improve their techniques, to... You know, and for England, it was the give the ball to David Beckham, play a long <laughs> yeah. ball into the box and that but, kind of thing. Yeah, well, to a certain extent. I mean, I think it goes back further than that. I think it, I think by the time you, that golden generation of players have come through, he, he, he talks about them coming through and excelling in spite of the system rather than because of it. Um, but those guys have the, the quality and the, the talent anyway to... The, the, I, think, I mean, you're not going to say that... David Beckham wasn't a direct footballer. I mean, he, he, yeah, good delivery from the flank, but he was a he was a good footballer as well. Paul Scholes, excellent footballer. Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, whatever. I mean, all all those guys are, are good quality footballers. But in- England were England were rubbish then, weren't they? That's why I say England never did anything. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now we're talking about the training techniques yeah. and things being different. Yeah, England are good, and they play in a very different way as well. Yeah. But it's the revolution. I mean, Gareth Southgate told told us at the time in 2011, and I was a massive skeptic of E Triple P because I was a I am a supporter of a club that initially was going to suffer because of EPPP, was going to lose its best academy players to Category 1 academies. And I, 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 like a lot of people, a lot of fans, railed at the whole idea behind it, which just seemed as if it was going to serve the elite. Well, actually, I mean, a lot of that has happened. I suspect a lot of, I mean, you've seen clubs close down their academies, Brentford being one, because there was just no point them running them. However, it's undoubtedly a fact that the standard of coaching in the academy and youth system in this country has gone through the roof since then. And Joe, Joe talks about that as well. It's complete it's chalk and cheese from the old days in terms of, of bringing a, bringing t- coaxing technical ability out of young players. And the very fact that at 17, 18, 19, all these kids are being looked at by Bundesliga clubs now and think, wow, these guys will come in and they will do a job for us. Is um is testament to the the progress being made within academy the academy structure, in in raising the standard of technical ability of young the young players. I mean, in this podcast, we're talking about English talent that have gone over to Europe and absolutely thrived. You know, Joe Cole and Lille, uh, Jen Sancho at, at Dortmund, Jude Bellingham at Dortmund. But there's also been players who've been tipped for greatness and and been looked at as stars for the future, who've gone over to Germany and haven't been quite as successful as some of these others and then haven't returned to England as well. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I mean, I went over in 2017 to Borussia Mönchengladbach to, to talk with a young uh, player called Mandela Egbo who'd, who'd gone over, they'd left Crystal Palace's academy and Palace had been really annoyed at losing him. I mean, he was a, he was considered to be like the future of the first team. He was a right back. He was a player of huge talent. He went over to Borussia Mönchengladbach and, and in the hope that they would provide him with a quicker route into top level senior football, as in top division. Um, and he, he, he did... He did well initially. He, he looked as if he was going to make it, but it didn't. It didn't quite work out. He spent a, a period in in Germany, then went off to the United States and played at uh, New York Red Bulls for a while, while. But he has his career clearly hasn't hit the heights, and there will always be that. There will always be that. I mean, you could you could argue that you know Adam Lookman hasn't ever made it at RB Leipzig. I mean, he's spent endless years on loan at Fulham and now Leicester. Reese Nelson as well, and people. Reese Oxford's over at 
he's still in Germany, but he's not maybe at the level that we thought he was going to be. We maybe he hasn't kicked on quite as much. We thought he was going to be a fixture in an international team, etc. So not all of them are going to work. But that's I suppose is is a is the same for any level yeah, of football, junior football. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not, not everybody's going to make it. Um, some people have, some people have undoubtedly looked at it and, and not enjoyed the, not enjoyed the experience of being abroad. I mean, you could look at Damari Gray, who went to Bayer Leverkusen and lasted six months, and now he's at Everton. Um, he clearly didn't settle, but but again, it's just that that's almost a personal thing. That that will happen. Um, some people thrive when they when they try something completely new in a different culture. Other people won't. Um, it's but it's quite interesting to to see how it the the trend. I mean, I think I think this sort of idea that that the English talent is is worth looking at will will persist because people will see Jaden Sancho as the ultimate somebody that was bought in for next to nothing and sold for what seventy odd million. I can't remember mm-hmm. what the fee was. It was just a number that was mind boggling. You know, you only need one of those to work every five years and you've actually you know you're making huge amounts of money and you're funding the the entire youth system of a or transfer policy of a, of a of a club so it's i think it's a testament to the, the the level of coaching that these guys are receiving in the academies and maybe it gets to the point i mean the whole brexit thing will be interesting to see whether english clubs now desperately try and cling on to these talents and, and find other ways of trying to to keep them in the country rather than losing them to next to no- for next to nothing to, to to German or Italian or French clubs, um, but it's it's a really interesting period and it's uh, the sort of flip around and how you know how young players are now they appear to be far more willing to embrace life abroad than they ever were. As I say, Joe Joe was like, you know, we didn't do this, we didn't do this, we hadn't done this in France for twenty odd years, we didn't. The idea that that you go and try something new and leave the comfort zone of the Premier League or English football was almost unheard of. Now it's far more, far more um, customary. It's far more common. Yeah, well, Dom, it's been great to have you on the podcast. And don't forget, if you haven't read his piece yet with Joe Cole, it really is a fascinating read. So do go back and check that out if you are an Athletic subscriber. Dom, thank you. Thank you. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right, Flo, let's talk about some of the other stuff that's up on The Athletic at the moment. Is there anything you've been reading that you've been enjoying? Uh, yeah, an interesting piece actually that just dropped. Uh, I think this morning. Um, not a Liverpool fan. Don't you know? Focus too much on Liverpool's specific content. But actually, a player who I had completely forgotten about in Joe Gomez. Uh, interesting piece by Stuart James and James Pearce, the, the Liverpool club writers for the Athletic, um, about what's next for Joe Gomez because he made his first start. I think they have it here in 468 days. His first Premier League yeah, start that is in incredible. that time. I haven't read that yet, but I saw the headline this morning. Yeah, the and I just. Underneath. I saw the little um, the little uh, short headline, the little leader, and I, it really kind of struck me. And I thought I need to have a look at this. So it is interesting what's going to happen to him. Someone who was in you know England contention not long ago uh, is obviously a very talented player. And I think we've talked on this podcast throughout the season about players who may need a move. Jesse Lingard being one of those um, in order to get the, you know get into international football contention again. And and uh, yeah, it's interesting to, to see what he's going to do next. Yeah, I'm going to shout out Andy Jones, the Burnley writer, and I'm definitely going to get a pay rise from The Athletic after this segment. <laughs> but what I like is, because you don't really read about Burnley in the national press. It just it just doesn't happen, does it? You, there's, there's not much in there about them. But every time I read something of his about Burnley, I just find it really interesting because it's stuff that you don't ever read about any anywhere else. So he spoke about, he, sorry, he wrote about the win at Brighton at the weekend and how it happened. And there's just a lot of little behind-the-scenes snippets there from the dressing room and things like that that I really enjoy reading about. So, yeah, I'm going to give Andy Jones a, a shout-out. And a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. It's just £1 a month for the first six months. So head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod to get started. Yep. Thanks as always to you, Flo, and thanks to Dom Fifield as well for talking to us today. And of course, thank you to everyone for listening as well. Do get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts and leave us a review if you've got the time too. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Matt Slater is going to be back tomorrow to discuss the business of sport. We hope you'll join us again. The Athletic.